Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, December 1st, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about the third episode of the Marvel Studios series, Hawkeye, entitled Echoes. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film senior writer Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And you're not Peter Serretta. I'm not. Peter Serretta is uh, is gone for this week. I think he's on some sort of tiny vacation or something. I'm not sure exactly where he is, but uh, I'm trying Probably to... Probably something for ordinary adventures. Oh, that's true. Uh, I'm trying to step in and, uh, and fill his shoes here. Hopefully I do a passable job at least. But uh, let's get into it, Brad, about this episode. Um, we normally start off with a feedback section, and we got an email from a listener named Manuel who writes, I just watched the third episode. I think the production on that episode was really good, unlike episode two. But don't you think the story develops very slowly? It's a six-episode show, and we're already halfway through. I'm worried it will be like every other Marvel show. The main villain of season one will be a low-level character, and the end will tease something bigger to come. Thank you for the great podcast. Looking forward to your thoughts on episode three. Uh, So I guess before we... Or maybe we can incorporate this into our brief reactions, Brad. But um, why don't you go first and then see if you can address uh, Manuel's thought here about like whether or not you think the show is moving at a, a reasonable pace for it being halfway done already. Uh, yeah, so first of all, I, I dug this episode. Um, I definitely think it's a step back up from the second episode, which was a, a pretty big uh, drop in quality from the, the series premiere. Uh, felt like a kind of like a network TV procedural kind of episode. And this one definitely kicks things up a notch with the action, especially the, the chase sequence. Um, the introduction of Echo is handled fantastically. Uh, and there's some interesting threads here that are unraveling. But uh, it is something to, um, to to mention for sure that the the plot does seem to be unraveling very slowly for an, a show that is only lasting uh, six episodes and only covers six days worth of time leading up to Christmas Day. So I'm yeah I'm curious exactly as to how this is all going to come to a head and if it's going to feel super packed in these like last three episodes or even like the last two or, or finale and how how that's all going to shake out. Um, we'll get to the 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 villain tease of it all and how that's going to play out as we discuss some of this episode because I think it's starting to become pretty clear uh, where we're headed. 
Um, but how it all plays out is uh, something that will uh, remain to be seen. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious to, to know what you think about that. Um, I thought this episode was okay. Uh, there are some moments that I really liked a lot. And then there are some moments as Manuel indicates where I felt like the show was spinning its wheels a little bit. Um, so I know that's not exactly like the, the hottest take of all time, but, uh, there we are. So, um, <laughs> I don't really, I mean, you know, I think I know Peter well enough to think that he would probably think that this is a really slow episode because he loves plot and story and just like, get me from point A to point B. And this episode really does not uh, do a lot of moving the ball down the field, uh, if you want to use that metaphor. So um, I, I'm I'm also curious to know what Peter thinks of this episode, and maybe he'll talk about that if he comes back to uh, to do the recap next week. But um, all right, let's get into the breakdown. So the episode opens in 2007 with young Maya in a classroom. She uh, is filling out the answers in her workbook. She, she obviously can't uh, hear what her peers and what her teacher is saying. She looks a little frustrated at that, but then her teacher comes over and, and looks down at her workbook and realizes that Maya has already filled everything out. So she seems to be like ahead of all the other students in the class. Um, one of the answers that she fills out says, I run as fast as a dragon. And she filled in the word dragon and uh, drew a little doodle of a dragon on the page. And that is the first mention of dragon in this episode, which is a repeated thing, a, a sort of theme that comes up a number of times throughout this episode. So uh, we'll put a pin in that and maybe talk about that in a second. Um, any thoughts about this, uh, this like very early opening thing here, Brad? Yeah, I, I really like this opening sequence a lot. I, I appreciate how they depict uh, Echo's struggle, even to, um, to read lips, despite, you know, that being a skill that people who are deaf have in order to, um, to pick up on what people are saying. And it shows the the challenges, you know, that people have, uh, even in a setting where they can read lips, because sometimes teachers, people look away and you can't necessarily mm -hmm. see what they're saying. And I like how that's reflected in the subtitles as well, where she's not necessarily picking up on, on every single word. Um, but I also like how she's not shaken by that. It just shows great character development. And I like um, how this basically gives us, you know, the meaning of the episode, because not only is it about Echo, the character, but it has this echo of how Maya had a life kind of similar to that of Kate Bishop, albeit one that maybe wasn't necessarily as entitled and was maybe a little bit darker because her father was clearly in some pretty seedy, seedy business. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, she she has something to to overcome and she feels like she has something that she has to uh, live up to and, and take care of. And so I, I like the dichotomy between Echo and Kate Bishop that's being set up here. Yeah. And the, the um, thing about uh, uh, Echo slash Maya's father being into some shady stuff. I mean, I think we'll probably talk about this later, but uh, certainly Kate's mother, Eleanor seems to be, you know, uh, being set up to be some sort of shady figure of her own. So that's a little bit of a, a rhyming echo there too. So yes. um, Maya and her dad, we see this this moment of them at home where they're like playing with shadow puppets on the wall. And, and, you know, I was on the lookout for So I watched this episode all the way through and then I went back to to make notes and watched it sort of skim through it a second time to make a bunch of notes and stuff. And, and I was on the lookout for dragons and dragon imagery after hearing that word so many times in this episode. And I noticed the second time through that the shadow puppets on the wall, it looked like maybe it could be a dragon eating some kind of winged creature, which... Uh, is imagery that we've actually seen not you know uh, too long ago in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So um, she has this conversation with her dad where she, they're saying, you know, what what sound does a dragon make? Are dragons real? And he says maybe they are, but dragons live in a different world. 
And she says, what if they learn to come into our world? And he said, well, that would make them stronger. So I guess let's, maybe let's have the dragon conversation now, Brad. Do you think that they're, that these are like overt references to Shang-Chi? Because uh, that's the, the MCU property that has um, blatantly dealt with <laughs> actual uh, physical manifestations of dragons in the Marvel Cinematic Universe recently. Yeah, I feel like that there's got to be something to that. You know, I mean, uh, the whole thing in Shang-Chi is seeing that there literally is uh, a dragon, the great protector in uh, another world, this, the, the mystical world. Uh, where Shang-Chi's mother was, you know, protecting and how she she met Shang-Chi's father. So I, I feel like there's definitely some kind of uh, connection there, whether it's something that is meant to allude to, you know, uh, something meant to happen in the future or just kind of a, a nice little nod to what already happened in Shang-Chi. Uh, you know, that, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Yeah, her dad also says, you know, you're going to have to learn to jump between two worlds to his young daughter. And he's obviously talking about the way that she's going to have to navigate our world, like this world, the world that she is actually uh, inhabiting right now in terms of like, um, you know, uh, uh, I guess utilizing her skills and and uh, abilities to um, just survive in, in the modern world. Um, yeah. But but also I'm wondering if like that is also going to be one of those things where you can look back on this show after it's done and be like, oh, that was actually foreshadowing for echo maybe traveling to that location that was that we saw in shang chi or something like outrageous i don't know if that's actually too ambitious for this relatively street level small scale marvel show to actually incorporate something like that but maybe that's something that happens in like the echo spinoff show that they've announced you know that that could be a thing where like she literally travels between these two worlds and there's there's just so much um, dragon stuff mentioned here that i i feel like they're teasing a uh, you know some sort of um, interconnection with the Shang Chi uh, characters and plotline and worlds in in some fashion. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? No, yeah, I mean, I just wouldn't rule it out. You know, especially because I think that um, the Shang Chi did such a great job of incorporating uh, Asian iconography and fantastical elements of of wushu and things like that. And I think that there's probably uh, some kind of mystical element that can uh, also be tied into Native American history and mythology uh, into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and potentially Echo's character as well. Absolutely. So years later, Maya rolls up to this body shop and discovers that Ronan is inside and he's slashing his way through the place and he ends up killing her dad. And her, her dad, as he's dying in Maya's arms, says, fly away from here, little dragon. I think that's the final dragon reference of this episode. Um and uh, I'm curious, Brad, like we don't see Ronan's face here. So do you think that's just because they didn't want to deal with uh, potentially digitally de-aging Jeremy Renner or uh, anything like that? Or do you think there's going to be some sort of reveal? Do you think that that um, obfuscation is on purpose to reveal that like maybe Ronan has been a persona that's been sort of occupied by multiple people? It's not just... Jeremy Renner. Obviously, we see him pull that hood down in what was that? Uh, Endgame. Um, yeah, or, yeah. Okay. So Endgame, and like he is referred to explicitly as Ronan. But does that mean that there can't have been another person wearing this suit or or you know uh, doing these deeds as well? What do you think about that? Yeah. So my my feeling is that I, that's that's we're obviously meant to think that Ronan is responsible for her father's death. Uh, we know that Ronan, uh, when Clint Barton took on that persona, did some pretty nasty things. Uh, 
in the criminal underworld. You know, you can argue whether or not they were uh, necessary or deserved based on the actions of those, you know, criminals and uh, crime lords and, and what have you. Uh, but I, I also think that it's possible that this could be something that ties into a, a larger reveal about who is uh, above Echo and who her uncle is, and that her uncle may have been somebody who made it look like uh, Ronan killed her father mm. uh, and wanted to place the blame somewhere else so that it couldn't be connected to it. Interesting. Okay. All right. Yeah. So maybe we'll come back to that later on too. Um, let's see. Uh, Clint and Kate are I, tied well, up. Oh, actually, and I suppose actually we should talk about that, uh, that since that moment does happen here in this, this flashback is that uh, we do have a direct reference and a vague appearance of Maya's uncle. Uh, her father leaves her uh, karate class and says that her uncle will, will pick her up. And all we see of her uncle is uh, the hand of a, of a white man wearing a black suit. And he doesn't say anything, but he's his hand comes in and gives her like a little cute, uh, affectionate cheek pinch. And he just kind of chuckles at how cute Maya is. Um, that chuckle sounds familiar. Um, it's a very brief thing, but it sounds like somebody that Marvel fans should probably be acquainted with. And we'll talk about that later in the episode. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, I guess back in, in present day, Clint and Kate are tied up in this warehouse um, with the, the tracksuit mafia. There's this whole imagine dragons joke back and forth that, that whole thing. Um, what did you think about this whole bit of the show, this little chunk here? I, I kind of thought this was where I could really feel the show uh, um, like treading water a little bit. Like I felt like the the pacing of this was off. Like we already saw that they were captured in the end of the previous episode. And then they just spend so long uh, just sort of like sitting around before anything meaningful happens, I think. Am I being too sensitive here, Brad? Um, no, I mean, it's, I don't feel like they're wasting a ton of time necessarily. And I, I don't mind these like little like interjections that, you know, they may not be meaningful or significant as far as like developing the the story or anything like that. But I do like that they're character moments. You know, I um, I appreciate the, the, the how the dynamic between uh, Clint and Kate is continuing and she sees this as like a partnership and he sees it as an, a nuisance. Um, and I, I like this co- the conversation between Kate and the, the um, one of the tracksuit mafia people because uh, it's just a funny thing, you know, sh- showing kind of just like conti- the, the street level aspect of the show and like these thugs are just kind of just like whatever bros, <laughs> you know, and like they're, <laughs> like they're just kind of uh, goofy and there and doing a job and they have these like weird little little problems and I just I like that how it shows kind of like Kate's affability too you know even in these moments and like talking to somebody like that that she's you know kind of just being nice and offering advice you know it's, it's just yeah. a, qu- a quirky little thing yeah for sure uh, so then Maya comes in Echo comes in and interrogates Clint who tells her that Ronan is dead he's trying to clear the air and make sure that that Maya stops going after Kate um, and then, you know, basically Clint breaks free and, and there's this chase where he runs across the top of shelves. It's all sort of goofy and doesn't look that great. Uh, but there's, I a- think, I think we should note too, that, uh, who Clint tries to, uh, place the, the mantle of, uh, uh or, or the, the death of Ronan on. Oh, who does he say? I don't remember. Black Widow. Oh yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Okay. So. Hmm. Yeah, that that's going to be uh, presumably and it's, important, and it's, ni- and it's a nice allusion to Avengers Endgame too, because he says, you know, Ronan's dead, and like, you know, in 
uh, a very metaphorical sense, Black Widow is responsible for the death of Ronan because she's the one who brought him back to, right. you know, go and get everybody back. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like Clint sort of breaks free from these uh, these little rocking horses that that he and, and um, Kate have been tied to. And In the this... biggest KB toys ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where like, were these KB toys when I was a kid? It's the size of a warehouse. <laughs> yeah, especially like in the middle of New York City. Uh, I don't know, the... the uh... The fact that this, like the the real estate, uh, the the value of that land in that area, in New York, is so astronomical that I can't imagine that they would let abandoned warehouses sit there for that long. I yeah. mean, I realize that's a, a huge nitpick, and and, and no wonder, it, no wonder they wanted a business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I was not really a big fan of like this little interior chase scene. I just thought it looked kind of cheesy. But there is one cool moment where uh, Maya and Clint face off in it's not like a super long continuous take, but the camera sort of slides along the floor almost. And you get to see them uh, going at it a little bit. And I thought the the choreography was good in that little chunk. And she ends up kicking him in the ear and he loses his hearing aid, which is something that uh, factors into the rest of the episode. Um, the, what did you think about the, the action in that uh, interior stuff? There's also, also that moment where like Kate uh, breaks free eventually and, and, um, like you swings herself around the bottom of a pole and like takes somebody's feet out from underneath them. What did you think about the look of all that? Yeah, it's um, it, it isn't this this part wasn't necessarily uh, great production quality. You know, um, the the choreography and the way it was shot uh, did did help and it made it look better than it probably would have been if it were something we saw like in a Marvel movie. Uh, but yeah, the face off between between Clint and and Echo is is very cool, and I I'll never get sick of seeing how um. Hawkeye uses a bow and arrow in close quarters combat because they always yeah. end up using it in a cool way. Yeah. Um, so then we go into this car chase sequence that was teased. You know, we saw, I think in the Disney plus day, they released uh, a chunk of a good chunk of this sequence that the one that looks sort of like it was uh, influenced by children of men, the, the Alfonso Cuaron movie. Um, and uh, I think we've, we probably talked about that part before, but um, seeing it all in one chunk in the context of the episode, what did you make of that uh, that car chase, Brad? Yeah, this was a fantastic action sequence. Uh, feels a little bit cheaper than your typical car chase in a Marvel movie, but they did the best they could with the budget that they have, which is obviously considerably lower. Uh, but a very exciting chase. The way it's shot again is very cool. Like you referenced, Children of Men. It's they basically have like the camera on a, a swivel in the middle of the car, and it just keeps panning around as Kate's trying to shoot arrows and Hawkeye is driving, trying to escape. And there's you know various cars in pursuit with the tracksuit mafia in them. And so yeah, a very uh, finely executed sequence. And uh, I also like the kind of the, the silliness of the varied area, arrows that Hawkeye has mm -hmm. um, to the point where it was maybe a little too cartoonish as far as like the execution like i don't know i'm just not sure that like they're gonna have these bright colorful gases and gacks and, and <laughs> yeah. acid and whatnot. it felt kind of batman 1966 yes. way, yeah it did. which which it was fun I'm, I'm not sure it looked the best especially that that bubbly goo looked kind of uh questionable as far like as the... ivan oozy <laughs> yes very <laughs> ivan oozy <laughs> uh, but but even so uh, a very fun sequence yeah, I mean, you know, th there are a few things that I wanted to bring up within this. Um, so there's these communication issues that Clint and Kate are having because Clint has lost his hearing his hearing aid and he is essentially rendered completely deaf. I think. I mean, that's the impl implication. We sort of the the sound drops out and we hear 
Uh, we go into his perspective fully a couple times throughout this episode, and it sounds like he can't really hear much of anything. Yeah, very, um, very muted, and there's like a constant ringing. Yeah, so like, I don't know. I, I I understand what they're trying to do. I just feel like some of the communication that happens between Kate and Clint in that heightened state where like he's trying to tell her, you know, use this, don't use this. And she's like talking to him almost as if, she thinks he can hear her and like it seemed like the show wasn't quite sure exactly uh it was like they didn't want to commit one way or the other because you could very easily have started that sequence with him like making some sort of gesture to her like okay i can't hear and then her like understanding that and then that sequence playing out in silence or maybe with kate talking to herself or clint talking to himself or something but it sort of seems like the show was was trying to establish a different dynamic for them, you know, with the, with the, the impediment or the, um, yeah, the impediment, uh, the hearing impediment that Clint, that Clint has with the loss of his hearing aid. But I don't know, there was some sort of, something was missing there in that, uh, in bridging that gap. Do you know what I'm talking about, Brad? It was like a sort of an, in ineffable sense I got of like something is slightly off here. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Like, cause you feel like there should be some kind of recognition from Kate that like he can't hear, you know, like there's, there has to be some kind of, acknowledgement but like she's also kind of a character who she's like so frantic and she's so focused on like trying to be a hero and always like you know just chattering constantly and running yeah. running, running her mouth that i feel like that's just her her energy and even if she knows that that he can't hear her her instinct is to just keep talking things out and yeah. just like you know constantly having these remarks and things like that and so i didn't necessarily dislike that but i, I do feel like there maybe was a way to handle it with a little bit more finesse. The one thing that I did like, and it, it happens a few times throughout this episode, is how uh, they are clearly like on a similar wavelength with how to deal with things and mm-hmm. what, what they're thinking about. And I like that it's creating that like little bit of a, a connection between them, even though they're you know essentially at odds with each other in some form. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Kate at one point pulls out an arrow that is an explosive arrow and she doesn't do this on purpose, but she shoots it into this van and it, or she doesn't know that it's an explosive arrow and it blows up. And I think people die here in this, this explosion. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's one moment, like we'll talk about it in a second where some PIM technology gets involved. And like, uh, you see very clearly that um, well, let's just go ahead and talk about it. So they, they get to the bridge and Kate shoots this arrow up and Clint, you know, uh, like, do you, do you remember the um, animated Robin Hood movie from the 70s? Yeah, uh, the for, Disney sure, movie? for sure. Yeah, so there's that moment uh, w- during the archery contest where Robin Hood, like, uh, has his bow tipped upwards and then he quickly grabs another arrow and shoots the his first arrow out of the sky. Yeah. It sort of reminded me of that a little bit. Um, and so Clint shoots Kate's arrow with this Pimtech arrow, which makes hers massive and it comes smashing down onto this car, which I thought was really, really cool. And it, it like crushes the back half of a van. And then the rest of the, the characters who were in that van survive, they, they get out and they start shooting at them later. So I liked that because it was this cool thing. And then you see that it didn't have like fatal consequences for these characters that are, that are uh, chasing after our heroes. But I, I'm pretty sure that the one where Kate shoots the the front of the truck and it explodes and the, the van flips and rolls and all of that, it seems like, People just straight up died there. And, you know, going, uh, that, that just feels like a, in huge contrast to the scene we were talking about earlier with Imagine Dragons and like humanizing these tracksuit mafia guys and like the bro humor and all, like all of that stuff. Like, I, I feel like the show uh, wants to have them be 
this sort of like quasi menacing force, but mostly just a, a force of uh, of comedic relief. And then for her to kill them and then not react to that in any sort of serious way. Like I, I get the sense that Kate has not gone around murdering people before, uh, even by accident. So um, I don't know. I just thought it was weird. I, I feel like I had the same complaint in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, but that maybe makes more sense because Falcon and, and Bucky had seen some shit uh, to, to put it mildly, you know, they've, they've been through some stuff and probably killed a bunch of uh, people in their time as Avengers and stuff. Uh, Kate being a new person on the scene. I just thought it was a weird choice for, uh, for them to like go as hard as they did with the explosion and the van rolling and all of that. Cause you could have done a similar thing with the Pentech arrow van where like she blows up a tire and, it's clear that like that van is uh, out of commission, but the people survive, but like you don't get that sense watching the show at all. So uh, I just wanted to, to highlight that for a second. And then the only other thing that I did not care for in this car chase was the acid arrows to drop the stoplights. Um, yeah. Is that, really, seemed... is that really the best use of the acid arrows? <laughs> yeah. And then also like there was no payoff for it. It was like, Oh, cool. You know, Clint tells her to grab these acid arrows, shoot the stoplights. And I'm like, Oh, this is going to be awesome because She'll shoot through them and then it will cause chaos in this intersection where the people who just are living in New York at that and, and happen to be in that area at that time will not know what to do. And everybody will like flood the intersection and New Yorkers, hey, I'm walking here, the whole thing. Like, you know, it'll just be it'll cause uh, an obstacle for the bad guys and and clear a path for our heroes. But I went back and watched this again. The the acid gets, uh, you know, eats through the stoplights. They both fall to the ground. And then, like, there's no one in the intersection. Everybody just continues to drive through. Like, there was no point to do that other than just to show that acid air- arrows exist. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, kind of a, a missed opportunity, I thought, there. And I also think uh, this kind of goes back to the whole idea of these arrows being a little bit goofy, too, is it seems a little bit weird that the PimTech arrow actually has the PimTech logo <laughs> yes. on the head so prominently. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like they'd be like Tony Stark having an Iron Man suit that just said Stark Industries on the back, <laughs> like, a, like a jersey or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so after that whole big action scene, uh, Clint and Kate... Uh, sort of swing their way down onto a, uh, a subway car and, and get inside there. Uh, he compliments her archery skills and they, they both come to the um, independent realization that they need to walk the dog. And that's, that's sort of underlining what you're talking about earlier about the, the characters um, sharing similar uh, traits and, and personality, um, you know, bits. And it sort of seems like their identities are kind of um, fusing together a little bit, even though they, they are, uh, like at odds and on like a buddy cop kind of level, you know? Yeah. Um, so then there's the scene with the phone call with Clint's son. What did you make of that? Where, where Kate has to translate what's going on because Clint can't hear it. Yeah. I like this. Uh, this was uh, a nice way to create a bit more of an emotional connection between Kate and, and Hawkeye because uh, obviously she already has some admiration for him and she, uh, you know, it wants to impress him and wants to, to emulate him. But she doesn't necessarily have a sense of who he is as a person besides Hawkeye. And this gives her some human insight into his family life and sees, you know, how much he cares about it and how important they are to him. And uh, I, I just I, I like that moment that it creates between them and that it um, if it, and it might even maybe help soften uh, Clint a little bit to to Kate, since she's helping mm-hmm. him in this moment and kind of like 
being let in on this personal side of his life. Yeah, it also does a good job of um, reestablishing the stakes of like Clint needing to be home by Christmas. Um, And, you know, since this episode is a little scattered otherwise, I think that was a a good way to sort of bring us back into the long, you know, the, the long arc of what is happening here. This, this, you know, relatively small adventure that they're on, but it, it has high stakes because we've seen Clint with his family. We like his family. We like the fact that he is a family man. It's, it's like an endearing quality for a character who otherwise is kind of a, um, I don't know, a lower tier Marvel character. So like the, the family man aspect is something that defines him and, and helps him stand out, um, uh, you know, amid his contemporaries or whatever. So um, it always just helps to to sort of underline and, and say like, Hey, remember, like this is, this is what he's doing this for basically. So, yeah. Um, let's see what else happens here. So, uh, oh yeah. Maya and, and Kazi uh, talk like this Kazi character. I think we saw very, very briefly in the first or second episode, but he is featured a little bit more here and he is like Maya's uh, Maya slash echoes, like number, you know, right-hand man kind of. And, he says they're supposed to be keeping a low profile and it would be really bad if uncle found out that they were chasing the Ronin and Maya is really uh, sort of incensed that he is questioning her leadership. And he, she insists that Kazi would not be challenging her, her father if her father were still in charge. And Kazi says her dad always put the crew first. Uh, what did you think about this interaction between these two characters? I felt like there's some, some good little uh, character building revelations in there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it shows that, you know, Echo has become pretty desperate to uh, track down Ronin and since he is responsible for her father's death and that maybe she's falling away from, you know, how her father ran things. And even though he was a criminal, it seemed like he was a criminal who cared. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, like he, he took care of his crew and he was, it was a means to an end for him to, to help his family. Uh, and so uh, I think that it's, you know, there's obviously... I think some setup here for Echo to like learn some lessons and realize that she doesn't need to be maybe quite so ruthless in her pursuit. And once, you know, things get figured out, it probably sets the stage for her to be, you know, get that spinoff series and become a character where she's not, you know, a flat out villain or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we'll see what that series is about when that comes around. I wonder if, do you think that they would keep her a villain and, and center a show around a villain? I mean, like Loki is kind of the closest thing that they've done so far where he has been, an overt villain in some of the movies, but he's also been uh, humanized to some degree and sort of like quasi redeemed. But like with the whole time travel shenanigans, like the version of Loki that we saw was the one from 2012. So it was technically still like villainous Loki. And, and so I guess you could say that Loki is a show that was centered around a villain. Do you think that they would introduce a character like Echo and have her be a villainous character that we follow in her spinoff series? Or do you think that that um, transition into, uh, I guess, hero or, or more of a protagonist would be um, a better move for Disney? I think that what we'll probably see is a transition from her, you know, not necessarily being out for blood, but maybe still being um, a criminal. Like, you know, I mean, mm. like, like obviously you have a character like Scott Lang, Ant-Man, who is a thief, you know, he's, he's a criminal, but he becomes a superhero. I'm not sure that they'll lean full tilt into her being a hero, but maybe, maybe an anti-hero like character where she's still doing morally questionable and ethic, unethical things. 
but she is also doing things to stop maybe more villainous and evil people. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll get to who that could be once we get to our uh, later speculation part. Yes. Uh, okay, so after uh, Kate and Clint go and get his um, hearing aid repaired, they're eating in a, a restaurant or a little diner or something, and Kate tells Clint that she's dreamed of being a hero for as long as she can remember. And he says that that kind of lifestyle comes with sacrifices. Um, she ends up drawing him a new costume, which I guess is like a, a shout out to like his uh, the character's original comic book costume, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it's exactly how his cheesiest costume was in the classic comics with the purple suit and mask and the big H on his forehead. I like the way that um, that Marvel has been incorporating those really goofy designs into these Disney plus shows, because we saw that in WandaVision too, right? Like with the Halloween episodes yeah. for, for Wanda and vision, it's like a, a fun little nod that that doesn't feel obnoxious. Sometimes the fan servicey kind of things can feel uh, a little, I don't know, a, a little too much. Like they're, they're like screaming to make sure that everybody in the back row can hear, you know? Right. Um, and, and this, I feel like is, is just like a fun little, nothing it's like a little nod but it, it's uh i think that's the the sort of sweet spot of the kind of stuff that i appreciate when they, when they try to make these little nods to the fandom so yeah um so he says that he's not a role model and they have this whole back and forth where she just tries to you know explain to him and then also to the audience like yes you are you know a, a hero basically um I, I, I don't know do you this scene uh I think it was meant to to be a little bit more um, it was meant to play a little bit more powerfully and and have some more impact than it did on me. But did this work on you, Brad? Yeah, it worked for me because if the one thing that I think I'm enjoying about the series and why I'm fine with the plot progressing so slowly, or at least that doesn't bother me in the sense of like starting to dislike it or anything is that I, I like that it's focusing more on the characters and the, their dynamic, and especially when it comes to Hawkeye, who's been around for so long, but we haven't really gotten to spend a lot of time with him and get his you know vibe and perspective on his place in the world. And this series is allowing us to really dig into that and how he you know is uncomfortable being considered a hero, and especially considering what he did in his past as Ronin, and now being praised as a savior you know, getting free meals and ask mm-hmm. for selfies and autographs in the bathroom and all this stuff. And uh, I just, I, I like when they dig into, you know, the, the human side of, of superheroes in that way. Um, uh, one of the questions I had from the scene is, do you think that Kate has figured out that he's Ronan or do you think that she is, uh, she really, it doesn't know. And she thinks that he's trying to protect somebody else. Yeah. I, I went back and watched it with that in mind the second time. I think she doesn't quite know yet. I think she maybe suspects, but has not, has not fully come to that conclusion. What do you think? Yeah. Cause the, the, at first it seemed like she was maybe saying it in a knowing way, like that she knows that he's Ronan, but then how it's how she follows up and says like, that you know you're trying to protect somebody that you know that that he knows is mm-hmm. thrown in that it sounded genuine and not like a, a like a lead on hint like i know what the secret is but i'm trying to be vague about it right yeah i agree so they are walking through i think it's central park and and basically she asks she asks clint for like a rundown on the tracksuit mafia and he says that the guy at the top of that organization quote will do anything to grow the operation uh, he explains that Ronan hit the supplier on the other side and then hit tracksuit upper management. Do we know really, I mean, I guess 
you might know from uh, the comics or from sort of the superhero bits beat and and sort of being more immersed in this world uh, than I am, Brad. But like from the text of this show, do we know exactly what it is that the tracksuit mafia does? Like, what are they into drugs? What what exactly are they? Um, uh, what is their criminal enterprise, such as it is? That is actually a question that I don't have the answer to. Um, <laughs> maybe there isn't an answer. I don't know. Maybe the the I I that I think there isn't an answer yet because uh, I don't th- think it's been explicitly stated in the show. Yeah, well, yeah. At least in the show, it hasn't been um, established exactly what it is they do. That they they really seem like they're just kind of like middlemen, you know, just doing things for their crime boss, whatever that means. And in this case, we've seen you know they were trying to get a hold of. Uh, that watch from Avengers compound, you know, and mm-hmm. we don't necessarily know why or uh, why that watch is important and for, for exactly who it is they're trying to give it to. But, uh, but yeah, so they're, they're basically just like Aaron boys in a sense. So, the, you know, he says that Ronan hit tracksuit upper management. Is that the, the flashback scene that we saw of him, you know, slashing through um Echo's father and like that group, or do you think he's alluding to a different um, assassination or or uh, killing? There? No, I, I think that's got to be it. You know, I mean, like it's it was clear that uh, Maya's father was um, a, at least a senior member of the tracksuit mafia. Clearly, had some uh, superiority in that group, and he was wearing a tracksuit. So, um, <laughs> I yeah, I think that that's definitely the the indication there. Okay, uh, so the, the episode ends with them breaking into Kate's mom's penthouse. Um, Kate sort of really easily hacking into the computer, the personal computer of somebody who owns a uh, a mega security firm, um, which you know I question the veracity of that a little bit. Uh, and she's trying to to find information on Kazi and uh, and find information about Jack. And then Clint hears a sound and goes to explore and Jack holds a sword to Clint's neck. And that's how the episode ends. So uh, any thoughts about the effectiveness of that cut to black at the very end, or any thoughts about this, this last scene where they break into Eleanor's place? You know, uh, seeing how these three episodes have played out, it makes me wonder if a full fledged series was necessary as opposed to maybe just trying to make this a movie. And maybe the stakes aren't high enough to make it, a Marvel movie, even though I think that maybe it would have been refreshing to have a movie that has these kind of stakes, but I, I it feels like it's becoming, um, and, and I'm sure it's on purpose, but I feel like it's losing its effectiveness to have each episode end with like a sudden appearance of a character and them being in, in danger, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, the first episode ended with, uh, you know, Hawkeye, finding Kate Bishop and then like the reveal it's like it's like oh my gosh they're seeing each other the second episode ends with the sudden appearance um you know of uh Kate Bishop dropping in and then introducing Echo and then here we have you know another surprise cliffhanger where you know Jack meets Clint so it's it feels like they're trying like they really needed to like find places to like have these cliffhangers and like the thing is, is there's not they're not super big cliffhangers because like, because the 
the schedule is uh, the timetable rather is so truncated in this series that like we know we're going to see like immediately you know what what happens after right. that, you know um but i guess you know it fits kind of that just that old school serial kind of thing is of tune in next week mm-hmm. yeah all right, so let's transition into the, the speculation section. This is our last section here. Um, so when uh, Echo goes back to the uh, body shop, there's a sign that says Fat Man Auto Repair. And then, uh, as you alluded to earlier, after when, when young uh, Maya, young Echo, is at her karate practice, there's this guy in the black suit that squeezes her cheek. Um, the implication, I think, is pretty strong that this is Kingpin, especially since you you and Peter talked about last time how Vincent D'Onofrio uh, is expected to return, or at least rumored to return. Uh, he's been playing around on social media with that a little bit. Um, do you think that this actually is Kingpin that they're hinting at here? Because I know that he's a, a main character in, or, or at least a, a significant character in the Hawkeye comic run uh, that they're sort of basing this on and and especially he's a significant character in the comics when it comes to the character of echo he he plays a major role in the creation of her as a sort of um you know villainous figure or is this like an elaborate misdirect is this like a mephisto thing all over again where like everybody thinks that they know what's going on here but marvel is actually doing something totally different yeah if it's a misdirect um i don't know what they would have in its place that would make it quite so satisfying. I feel like if you're not leading to that, it's a big disappointment. I do think that there's probably going to be some kind of twist where maybe we'll find out that um, it's not just Kingpin, because since we've talked about the fact that uh, Kate's mom doesn't seem to like, she's going to be very trustworthy and we'll probably have some kind of uh, CD background and history with what's going on that, I think that there'll be a little bit more to it than that, but the reveal, I think that that Kingpin is Maya's uncle would be very appropriate because of the ties to the comics. It would be a big thing that would get fans uh, excited because it would, you know, uh, more properly fold Daredevil into the, the MCU since all those Netflix shows, even though they did technically take place in the MCU, they were created independently of what Kevin Feige was doing with the Marvel movies. And so they never really had, a direct connection and crossover of characters and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, narrative elements and things like that. So uh, this would be a very cool thing to, to see. And like, it's um, it really does seem like Vincent D'Onofrio is coming back because it just, even though you only hear that slight chuckle, like if you know, Vincent D'Onofrio, like that sounds like Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, so I, I feel like it's, it's gotta be coming. I think I only watched maybe two episodes of Daredevil, and that was as far as I got into all of the Marvel television Netflix stuff. So I don't even think I saw his his version of Kingpin at all. Um, did he wear a black suit in that? Because traditionally in the comics, Kingpin wears a white suit. I think that is probably part of maybe them trying to conceal it. Um, mm, okay. But because uh, I'm trying... Um, I, I like yeah, obviously the the white suit is um a like the the main image that everyone has of Kingpin is the white suit and purple pants and whatnot. But the there are um several times when he does wear a black suit in Daredevil. So I feel like he might wear a black suit in Spider Man into the Spider Verse at he one does. point. He does, okay. yeah. Okay. So there's there's some precedent there. Um okay, so so here's a question for you, Brad. Is Kate's mom, Eleanor, uh Vera Farmiga's character, is she the leader of the tracksuit mafia? Like they uh Clint says the the guy at the top of the mafia will do anything to grow the operation. 
Um, that sort of sounds like the level of uh, ambition and, and maybe potentially even desperation that we have uh, that we have applied to what we think we know about Eleanor. Do you think that she is the person who is um, who is leading this little organization here? Uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty good guess um, because I feel like, but at the same time, that could also uh, be Kingpin because it's um, there's another line that uh, Clint says where he says that there's there's someone above Maya you don't want to mess with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't necessarily know how deadly or dangerous uh, Eleanor, uh, Kate's mom, is, but we definitely know how deadly Kingpin is. It's just a matter of whether or not Kingpin is in a position to really worry about like doing whatever the tracksuit mafia is doing, because I feel like he should be like doing maybe more big time stuff. But then again, what they're doing could be big time since we don't know what the watch is for or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So then the only other question that I could really think of in terms of like guessing ahead is this idea of Sloan limited. And, and Clint says at the very end of the episode, that's, that's a a company that uh, Kate sees at the very end of the episode when she is like looking through her mom's computer and Kazi um, Maya's right-hand man is attached. It says that he's an employee of Sloan limited and Clint says, Oh, that, that company sounds familiar. Um, I, it does not sound familiar to me. Am I missing something, Brad? What is Sloan limited? What do you know about this? Yeah. So this is a dig into, um, Marvel comics. Uh, there's, there's a, a variety of, of Sloan's, but there's one key that has an interesting connection that would make sense. Um, and it's Jason Sloan, who is a partner at the law firm of Broderick Sloan and Cranston. Broderick um, uh, Sloan and Cranston eventually uh, brought in Matt Murdock, who is Daredevil, as part of the firm. Um, Cranston and Broderick are uh, revealed to be bad guys. Uh, Cranston is Mr. Fear. And so it could be another Daredevil uh, kingpin connection. It, hmm. it could end up being something... Uh, maybe just an Easter egg. Um, but the Kingpin connection does feel like, you know, that would be uh, an interesting tie to make there, especially if Clint is vaguely remembering something about that. And, yeah. you know, if it's what's tied to, to the tracksuit mafia and, you know, the whole Kingpin echo connection, then it feels like there's gotta be something there. Yeah. If it was just a pure Easter egg, I think they would have let it go unremarked upon and, and just had it in text there for, you know, people like us to, to write articles about and point out. Um, but the fact that it's like specifically called out in a line of dialogue, I think makes it a little bit, it elevates it a little bit. So, um, okay, Brad, I think that's pretty, that's all I have in my notes. Was there anything else that we didn't get a chance to talk about, uh, from this episode that you wanted to mention any, uh, character dynamics or developments or anything at all? Uh, so on the speculation side of things, I think it'll be interesting to see um, how the confrontation between Clint and uh, Jack plays out. Because uh, in the comics, Hawkeye's origin story made Jack his mentor and kind of taught him uh, the essentially, you know, combat and, and all that kind of thing. So uh, in, in the comics, Jack Duquesne is, uh, or Jacques Duquesne in the comics, is uh, known as the Swordsman. And so I'm uh, interested to see if they will um, have a, an established relationship between Jack and Clint uh, and that Clint just hasn't realized that the Jack that Kate is talking about is Jack Duquesne. Um, I'm not sure if it's if it, it, the name has ever been explicitly mentioned if uh, and it was only first names, which why it hasn't clicked for Clint yet. But, mm. that, you know, that's something maybe we'll, we'll see how that plays out. And I'm sure if I'm wrong that they haven't mentioned last name, somebody will e- email us and be like, no, they definitely said Jack Duquesne and, <laughs> and, and Clint should know. So, 
Yeah, I think they've said Armand Duquesne uh, out loud to Clint, um, but I, I don't remember if they've said Jack Duquesne specifically. So yes, please shoot us an email and let us know about that. Um, anything else, Brad, that we that we didn't talk about yet? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, yeah. What about, okay, so, so after uh, this, after seeing this episode, we're now halfway through the series. Uh, I listened back to the episode that you and, and Peter did about the first two episodes, and you guys were like speculating maybe about like what, what role could Yelena have here? Is that any clearer to you now after seeing this third episode? Are you still as much in the dark about that as I am? Uh, Yeah, still in the dark. Um, There is part of me that uh, now that you mention it wonders, I wonder if uh, they might reveal Yelena as having something, some part in the tracksuit mafia. Um, You know, I mean, they do have uh, that shared accent, um so, so <laughs> yes i suppose it, it is it is possible maybe she has some kind of side hustle that like helps her you know as far like having connections and things like that um but i i still feel like that probably what's going to happen is her being involved in the series is just going to be like another thing on top of all the rest of the bullshit that uh clinton kate already have to deal with it'll be like a like a oh seriously like this now <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about Julia Louis Dreyfus's character? Do we know if she's going to be in this show 100%? I don't think so. Okay. Um I, yeah, I don't think that there's been any talk, but obviously it's it's entirely possible, you know, maybe in a in a credit scene or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I mean, I don't know. I I I'm a little mixed on this show. I I really love the um what Haley Steinfeld is doing, like everything that she is, every scene she's in, I'm, I'm really like sort of on board for. Um, and, and I think Jeremy Renner, you know, uh, I guess the problems that he has had off screen aside, uh, I think he's actually doing pretty good work um, in, in this show as well. He's definitely like making me care about the Hawkeye character more than I have in previous stuff, which is sort of like the, the magic trick that these Disney plus shows are doing. Like the same thing happened in WandaVision where like you finally, uh, you know, what a concept. Give these characters some room to breathe and actually like shine the spotlight on them for a little bit and they actually become more, you know, more fully fleshed out characters that you actually uh, can can latch onto instead of just these, you know, tiny pieces in this mega wheel that that is just spinning out of control in the movies. So, um, yeah. Uh, any any thoughts on the series overall at the, at the halfway mark here, Brad? Um, I think just like to repeat is that, you know, I, I want to, to definitely know more about exactly what is going on here as far as the the plot because even though I, I like the idea of having this street level series and the stakes feel like they're much lower than the world ending stakes of um you know Eternals and Avengers and all that stuff I do want to have some kind of idea of what we're dealing with here you know and so yeah. we're ha- we're halfway through with there's three episodes left obviously plenty of time uh, but I just I feel like we need maybe a little bit little bit more to to sink our teeth into. For sure. All right. Well, yeah, we'll leave it there. Uh, you can find more about Hawkeye. We have a ton of articles uh, written at SlashFilm.com. So check that out. And uh, I'll link maybe a couple of them in the show notes here. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, mailbag topics, and uh, yeah, like uh, corrections or, or whatever uh, to peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.